This is Dr. Jerry Tolbert, and it's time for another season of Here's to Your Health. Today we're going to talk about several myths and several important factors involving the nose. Everybody's got one. It's right there in the middle of your face, but very few people understand exactly how it's put together. It's your nose. If you were to take a speculum, which is the little flashlight with a plastic tube on the end that the doctor uses to look in ears and noses, and look inside your nose, you'd see three shelves of bone that are covered with a pink soft material we call mucosa. That mucosa is what lines the nose and moistens the nose, but it's also what secretes all of the mucus that we come to know as snot. The mucus moistens the lining as well as providing a trap for any kind of particulate matter or dust or infectious organisms like bacteria and viruses that might be entering your nose and trying to get into your upper airways. There are a lot of different disease processes that affect the nose, and there are also a lot of myths that go along with those disease processes. Today we're going to talk about a few of those things and see if we can't clear up a few of the myths that have been circulating for years and years about the way your nose works. Around this time of year, everybody is afraid of the common cold. We're going back to school, we're in closed conditions, and as I've talked about before, there's a chance that you're going to spread these organisms to each other and cause colds. One of the first symptoms that we see that go along with a cold is a runny nose or a stuffy nose. As I said before, the lining of the nose is called a mucosa. And when an infection occurs, whether that's with a virus or a bacteria, that mucosa gets very inflamed and red and irritated. That irritation causes it to secrete more mucus in order to lubricate itself and to protect itself from any more insults due to bacteria or viruses or constant nose blowing. That mucus may be clear, it may be green, it may be at times brown or red, or in rare cases even black or purple. For years there was a myth circulating, and it continues to circulate, that if your mucus is green, that that means that you have a bacterial infection, and if your mucus is clear, that means you have a viral infection. In fact, there is no way to tell from the color of your mucus whether or not you have a bacterial or a viral infection. Mucus color is determined by multiple factors, and one of the big ones is the cell types that are found inside the mucus. Mucus is more than just green goo. It's a collection of water and multiple different cell types, especially white blood cells, that help to fight off infection as well as trap particulate matter. At this point, the prevailing theory for why we have green mucus is that there's an enzyme in our white blood cells that oxidizes copper and another enzyme that oxidizes iron. The combination of the two leads to a coloration that resembles that green or yellow mucus that you see. Also, the longer mucus remains in the nose, in the sinuses, or in the posterior nasal cavity, the more likely it is to become green because of the oxidation involved. Oxidation is a chemical process where oxygen binds to the metals and changes them. Think about rust. If you've ever seen an iron bar that's laid outside or a piece of metal that's laid outside, for any length of time and developed a coat of rust, that's oxidation. Or the Statue of Liberty is another common analogy that I use. If you look at the Statue of Liberty, it's made out of copper, but it's green. So it's not the bacteria that are causing your mucus to be green. Don't misunderstand. There are times when bacteria can cause pus to form, 
We call that purulent mucus, and it's kind of difficult to tell the difference between just plain green mucus and purulent mucus at times. To the casual observer, they appear very similar. Clear mucus also doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have a bacterial infection. Some bacterial infections, especially early on, can cause mucus production to ramp up before you ever get that purulent mucus, that pus-filled mucus that we talked about. So we talked about the green snot myth. Let's talk about different diseases that may affect the nose that aren't necessarily a bacterial infection, which is what most people are afraid of. One of the most common causes of a runny nose or a stuffy nose is, is something called infectious rhinitis. And that's just a fancy way of saying the common cold. Infectious rhinitis affects the lining of the nose, the mucosa, and causes irritation, inflammation, redness, uh, clear drainage. It can also cause some green drainage, but it also causes the lining of the nose to get very thick and red and what we call boggy, meaning it's, it's full of extra fluid or edematous is the medical word. That mucosa, which lines those shelves we talked about called turbinates, gets very swollen. And that's why your nose feels clogged up, even if you're not blowing out any mucus. The swelling of the nasal passages themselves is oftentimes what's responsible for that feeling of pressure and that feeling of pain. The sinuses most times get a bad rap from folks when it comes to the common cold. Often it's not the sinuses that are affected most prominently, but the mucosa and the turbinates. Because the nose and the mouth are connected in something we call the nasopharynx at the back of your throat, you can often have involvement of the throat in those types of infections as well. The lining of the nose extends back and down right behind the little hanging down we call the uvula at the back of your throat. And because all of it is one continuous cavity, any swelling that happens in the nose can also affect the structures in the throat. Specifically, the openings of the inner ear are right there behind the uvula as well. And if the throat and the nose are both swollen, they may close off the drainage of the inner ear. And that causes a feeling of pressure in the ears or, or can sometimes cause a popping sensation in the ears. And in small children can often lead to ear infections. <clears throat> the great news about infectious rhinitis is that it will run its course on its own. As miserable as you may feel, it's not a long-term infection, and it's not something that's going to require a lot of medical intervention. It just requires time. Antibiotics, especially if it's viral, are entirely useless. When it comes to viral infectious rhinitis, antibiotics are going to do nothing. There are some medicines that come over the counter that may be helpful, including pseudoephedrine, coracidin, or any number of other decongestants. The problem is they're not completely effective in eradicating symptoms, and they oftentimes don't shorten the duration that you have symptoms when it comes to these types of infections. One of the other things that can cause swelling in the nasal passages, as well as mucus production, is allergic rhinitis, or allergies that involve the lining of the nose, or as it's sometimes called, hay fever. According to the pathology books, the most common causes are sensitivity to allergens like plant pollen, fungi, animal allergens, and dust mites. At last check, approximately 20% of the U.S. population had problems with allergies, and that number appears to be growing. It's also very region-specific. Where I live in the Ohio River Valley, there are a large proportion of people that have significant allergies, and depending on climate and weather, those allergies can be even worse from year to year. In fact, this year we've had a mild winter, and that's led to more people coming forward with allergies than have in the past. There are some subtle differences between allergic rhinitis and an infectious rhinitis. Oftentimes those are related to how often it's happening. If you get four or five of these events throughout the year and they come at certain specific seasons and they happen every single year, 
there's a pretty good probability that you have a seasonal allergy of some sort. Again, the lining of the nose gets inflamed and swollen. The turbinates get swollen. Mucus is produced. There's often itching and redness of the eyes that go along with allergic rhinitis. There may also be sneezing, but this is a very nonspecific symptom as well. Of course, I would be remiss if I weren't to speak of true sinus disease or true sinus infections, what we sometimes call sinusitis. As much as we've diagnosed sinusitis on a regular basis, there really is a set of criteria that must be met in order to be truly diagnosed as sinusitis, and it's my belief that the diagnosis is quite overused. <clears throat> true sinusitis occurs when the drainage of the sinuses is impaired and bacteria are allowed to flourish inside the sinuses, causing something called an empyema. That's a collection of bacteria and white blood cells and pus that fill the sinus cavity and cause pressure and pain, and can at worst case even erode into the orbit of the eye or erode through the sinus into the mouth. Those types of infections are incredibly rare, but they are what we call a true sinusitis. While the sinuses may be inflamed for these other conditions, from allergies to viral infections, true sinusitis, by definition, involves an infection of the sinus cavity itself. And that can occur, but it's oftentimes a bacterial infection of the sinuses, not so much a viral infection. A viral infection of the sinuses leads to inflammation of the lining, but not the collection of fluid that we talk about with a true bacterial sinusitis that requires antibiotics. If you get to the point that you have a true bacterial sinusitis, you oftentimes need IV antibiotics in order to treat it. While I'm not downplaying the role of the sinuses in facial pain and pressure that occurred during these other types of infections, a true sinusitis is actually a pretty serious thing, and it's important that we use terms that describe things appropriately according to the pathology that's occurring. When we talk about pathology, that's just any kind of abnormal function of the body. So in, in my estimation, we really need to be careful of the words that we use to describe things. Sinusitis has a very specific meaning when we talk about it in pathology, but it may be a very different meaning when we talk about it in the community. So if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that if I'm going to talk about all of these things, I want to talk about some things that may be kind of rare, but also are things to watch out for. I mentioned earlier that your snot may take on a really weird color, like purple or black. Those are never a good thing. Neither would be rust-colored or red. Red or rust color often mean blood. There is a chance that bleeding from the sinus cavities or bleeding from the lining of the nose can be a sign of something more dangerous. It's always good if you have red or rust-colored mucus and you're not having an obvious nosebleed to have somebody at least take a look and make sure that there's nothing going on that could be potentially harmful. As far as black and purple mucus... Those are oftentimes associated with fungal infections. There's a specific infection called mucor mycosis, which is caused by a, a fungus called mucor, and it can cause something called a fungus ball to develop inside the sinus cavity. That fungus ball often grows uncontrolled and requires surgical removal. A fungal infection like that can be very serious. So if you do start blowing black particles out of your nose and are having a lot of facial pressure and pain, it's often good to have that examined by your physician or by an ear, nose, and throat doctor in order to make sure that there's no evidence of fungus in the sinus cavity. I really hope you've enjoyed the first episode of the new season of Here's to Your Health. The plan for this season is to cut back on the number of episodes per week, but to make them slightly longer and to improve the content a little bit. I'm going to do a little more teaching and a little bit more explanation of, of some of the basic anatomical things that we deal with each and every day, just like we talked about the nose today. Next time around, I think I'm going to talk about the, the inner ear and potentially the throat. 
we're going to have a conversation about the heart and the lungs at some point. And I've already got another podcast recorded that focuses primarily on the bowel and the stomach. There are also going to be some interesting episodes coming up this year involving certain disease processes or some social elements of healthcare that are things that people have asked about or that have piqued my interest as time has gone by. So if you're at all interested in learning more about your body and how it works and how modern medicine sees some of the disease processes and natural processes that your body may be going through, please check out the podcast and subscribe to the iTunes feed. And remember, here's to your health. The contents of this podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, the physicians involved do not in any way guarantee or warrant the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of any of the messages presented herein and will not be responsible for any of the content of any message. For all medical questions, always consult your personal physician for any specific medical advice.